Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California declared a state of emergency this week in the face of a growing monkeypox outbreak to speed up and better coordinate the government response. Los Angeles and San Francisco had already declared their own emergencies as case numbers grew among men who have sex with men. Monkeypox is far less contagious than COVID and rarely fatal, but can be painful and leave scars. With vaccines in short supply, we learn how best to stay protected and take your monkeypox questions. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California now has more than 1,100 monkeypox cases, and it continues to disproportionately infect gay and bisexual men. That's despite having an effective vaccine and medicine to treat monkeypox. The problem has been accessing them. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF, has been diagnosing and treating people with monkeypox and joins us now to take your questions, which you can ask by emailing forum at kqed.org or finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Dr. Chin Hong, glad to have you back. Thanks for having me on, Mina. As I mentioned in the intro, you've seen cases of monkeypox. What kinds of things are you dealing with right now? Uh, so in terms of the range of cases, um, they're uh, from the very minor with um, very limited disease, primarily in the genital area, to very, very severe uh, needing hospitalization. And mm. people are generally hospitalized for a variety of reasons with monkeypox, but it's usually because of uh, intractable pain and pain in certain areas that makes it very difficult to do bodily functions. In addition, people have been hospitalized uh, for um, having another severe complication like uh, disseminated syphilis or even syphilis in the brain. So we've had a variety of more serious cases, but I would say the vast majority of cases have been more milder, but milder in the terms of um, you know, risk of dying, but very major in terms of pain that it causes. Yes. What are the symptoms of infection? Pain, of course, is one of them. But uh, what others should be pe- should people be on the lookout for? Well, I think it all depends on what uh, your host status is. So, somebody, for example, who has existing inflammatory bowel disease. If you get monkeypox, on top of that, uh, we're worried because. It may cause you to get something we call strictures, which is, um, you know, where uh, two pieces of the bowel might join together and uh, may get stuck and may be difficult um, in the future with pain, et cetera. So those are some of the complications we worry about. Others is just uh, as infectious disease doctor, the fact that so much of your skin is involved, um, you can get other bacteria like uh, Staph aureus get into this bloodstream. And that's why some people do poorly. Um, there've been not many deaths, luckily it's not like COVID, but the few deaths that have been reported, um, 
usually involve uh, another bacteria getting in when the walls of defenses from the skin uh, have been decimated. Mm. We've been hearing that there's a long incubation period. Some people may experience fever, etc. What should people do if they are experiencing, say, a rash or fever initially? I think the biggest uh, takeaway message I hope listeners get is that have a really, really low threshold for diagnosis and asking for tests. The test is so easy to do, but there are some caveats with the test. First of all, I know that um, you know providers are still learning along as listeners are learning. So sometimes you may need to highlight why you think it might be monkeypox. Um, and in my opinion, we're not doing enough testing. Um, you know, the commercial labs, we have five commercial labs uh, up and running. They can do uh, tens of thousands of tests a week, uh, but we're not even scratching the surface of that, that capacity. Meaning that uh, two things, people are not coming forward with maybe early stages of disease because it might look very mild like a pimple or an ingrown hair and providers are not recognizing it uh, enough, but it's super easy to do testing. Another complication is that we have only been uh, authorized, you know, by guidance to do testing on the skin, but a lot of times people have uh, really young uh, stages of rashes, so the skin may not be as involved yet. So I would encourage uh, folks to think about, um, you know, thinking about other parts of the body, the rectum, the urethra, the mouth that may have um, disease that uh, may not be easily captured if somebody just does an exam on the skin. Yes, we've been hearing, well, two things. One is that there have been challenges with testing and also then with tests where people do have monkeypox coming up positive. I guess you're touching on the reasons for both of, of those. Is that getting better? Are people getting trained? Is more testing happening? Are people testing in the right way? I think we're getting there, but I think the big theme of any response the U.S. has had so far to any pandemic has been slow. I mean, if you look at the ingredients of our response, it looks great, right? PCR check, vaccine check, drugs check, but the tempo that we get to use these ingredients, you know, I think, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but, you know, I feel like some people believe that we've been asleep at the wheel and particularly in the beginning when we had, you know, our first case back on, on May 17th. Well, Ben writes, how dangerous is the public swimming pool for possible monkeypox exposure? Does chlorine kill the virus? How does monkeypox spread Dr. Chin Hong? I think one of the big take-home points is that the hierarchy of risk is very, very different from one to the other. So in terms of Benson, to begin with, it's very, very low risk to get monkeypox in a swimming pool. Um, uh, as listeners may know, the biggest font size is really skin-to-skin -skin contact um, in an intimate setting. And the reason why that's so uh, important for transmission is that uh, somebody may have a rash or a lesion full of virus. And then in an intimate setting, you make these microabrasions or small cuts in the skin and the virus can enter very easily in that way. Um, the other ways that uh, the virus can, can affect people is possibly through sexual transmission and bodily fluids. It's been isolated in blood and semen, um, but we don't know what that means in terms of infectivity. Another uh, 
Sorry, so if I, I could just clarify. So you're, you mean yeah. you're not sure if it's an actual sexually transmitted infection, yes. or we know that it's not. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Yes, yes, sorry. Yeah, to, yeah, that's right. I should clarify. You can get it during an intimate contact, but as a traditional card-carrying sexually transmitted infection, it's likely, but that's not probably the primary way. It's, you know, just skin to skin. Uh, so you can use a condom, for example, but still get monkeypox because you may have a lesion that's uh, adjacent to an uninfected uh, partner. And then from the act of making these microabrasions have the virus go from the infected person to the uninfected. But other routes like um, bedding uh, really enrich only if that person has active disease, slept in the bedding and you you know sh shake the sheets the next morning, but not in average an average going to a thrift store or going to, you know, uh, get bedding in Bed Bath and Beyond, for example, uh, that's very, very low risk. Um, uh, saliva is also a possible risk factor, uh, but that requires prolonged, uh, for example, kissing for several hours, three to six hours. And in the 30,000 foot view, monkeypox virus is an animal virus, it's trying to, it's, its sweet spot is a rat, or a squirrel, or in, as in 2003, a prairie dog in the United States, but not a human. So it's harder to get monkeypox than a regular other virus. And the human version of monkeypox is, of course, smallpox, which was eradicated in the 70s. Well, Amy asks, I've been hearing that it's predominantly skin-to-skin -skin contact, but there seems to be a lot of differing opinions about fomite transmission. Also hearing it's airborne, and it's not airborne, depending on who you listen to. You know, can I catch this from touching a cart at a grocery store? Can you clarify for Amy, Dr. Chin Hong? Yeah, so let's start with probably one of the most controversial uh, areas right now, which is the idea of whether or not you can catch it in the air. Yes, in theory, you can, meaning that if somebody uh, sleeps in a bed with monkeypox um, scars and scabs and it goes on the bed sheets and you, uh, you know, wave the bed sheet around the next morning, these little scabs fill a virus which can survive for, uh, you know, some time, but doesn't go in the air. And if you inhale it, you can be afflicted with monkeypox. That's why in some households, some individuals have gotten it that way. But in general, uh, it's going to be not the same way we think about droplet or airborne and COVID. COVID is a, a respiratory virus uh, by, by its definition. Monkeypox is not. But that air is, is only because these small scabs are floating in the air temporarily. For example, uh, there's been a case report of a healthcare worker in the UK who acquired uh, monkeypox uh, by infected bedding without using uh, you know, PPE in the hospital setting. So I think that is the way you think about you know, how it's efficiently transmitted within a household, uh, within a whole household contact. In terms of fomites, it goes to the same. The risk of just touching an uh, object in the gym or in the yoga studio uh, is very, very small. It's really in the context of a household where you're touching the same things multiple times over and over again for multiple hours. Uh, so that's the theme. When you look at these risk factors, you can get it that way. Whether or not you're likely to get it that way is another question. And it's going to be in the general population, very, very small. Yeah. So just to underscore, what's the overall public risk of getting monkeypox, Dr. Chin Hong? 
very, very small at this point. You're much more likely to get something like COVID uh, than monkeypox. Uh, although I know it's really scary to people, there are also silver linings about monkeypox that we can get to, which is what happens after you get exposed, where where you can get a vaccine or you can get treatment, um, you know, at some point. And that's been the real difficulty as well. Just really quickly, uh, this listener says there's been a second pediatric monkeypox case. What should parents do? I guess the question I have is, um, why are children deemed as sort of high risk or or uh, vulnerable groups? I think that's also a really interesting uh, topic to discuss. So our sort of thinking about kids as being high risk is based on the other kind of monkeypox virus, which is more predominant in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where kids have about a 10% mortality rate. But the type of virus that's circulating in this outbreak has a less than 1% mortality rate, even in uh, Western Africa. Um, so it's the more benign case. And it, you know, we make we want to be conservative and think that kids are also going to be potentially at risk, like the more serious one that's not circulating now. So that's where that comes from. And and because it's more disseminated in that particular clade, um, we want to make sure that kids are doing okay. But the kids so far in the U.S. and around the world, I think there have been more than 80 of them who've been exposed were mainly in household contact setting, not in general population. And they've done pretty well. Uh, certainly the ones in the U.S., with confirmed monkeypox uh, virus have been treated with uh, T-pox and they've, they've done pretty well. We're taking your monkeypox questions with Dr. Peter Chin Hong, an infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center. After the break, we'll hear about experiences of trying to get vaccines and treatment. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. A few people who are denied abortion care end up putting their child up for adoption. We explore why and hear from women who did choose adoption and what the experience was like. If this is you and you'd like to share your story, you can email forum at kqed.org or leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. Today, we're talking about monkeypox with Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, who has been diagnosing and treating people with monkeypox. And you, our listeners, if you have an experience of trying to 
get tested or treated for monkeypox that you'd like to share, if you have questions about monkeypox or thoughts on the state and federal response so far, you can email forum at kqed.org, post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Let me go to Arlinda in Oakland. Hi, Arlinda. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, my question is, Is are those who are vaccinated for smallpox protected from monkeypox? Hmm. Arlinda, thanks. You're That's welcome. a great question from Arlinda. Um, we don't know the full answer yet, but I think it's really interesting that, you know, I haven't seen a lot of, uh, you know, individuals over the age of 50 with serious disease. And um, in the, the studies both published in The Lancet, Infectious Disease and the New England Journal, the median age was uh, men in their 30s or early 40s, not a lot of men over the age of 50. Uh, so many people believe that even though, uh, you know, immunization would have been some time ago that it may likely attenuate or make the disease less severe if you've had the smallpox vaccine before, which was stopped in the US in the 70s and many places around the world in terms of keeping your um, disease expression uh, milder uh, if you did get exposed. But again, this is more speculation, and but it's kind of you know, corroborated by just people we've been seeing. And I see the most serious cases just being in the hospital. So that's kind of a, an interesting correlation. Yes, though, if you want to talk about the effectiveness of the vaccine that we are trying to get so many more vials of in both prevention and even in as as something to be given post-exposure, if there's anything you'd like to add to that, Dr. Chen Hong. Yes, yeah, so the interesting thing about the vaccine, and it's kind of a silver lining, we believe, is that because the incubation period is so long, with monkeypox. So in COVID, you know, you get exposed and maybe three days later you feel symptoms. In monkeypox, it could be up to two weeks, sometimes longer, uh, average day of seven days in this outbreak, but up to two weeks. So that means that you get the vaccine in COVID, it doesn't matter because it's so fast, but in monkeypox, it's slower. So if you get the vaccine, we believe that it aborts the disease even within the first four days. And if you get it within the first two weeks, um, but if you haven't gotten a rash by then, getting a vaccine may make your disease less severe. And that's because of the long incubation period. So that's what we know about the vaccine. Um, a lot of what we know about the vaccine is extrapolated from um, smallpox. And uh, we don't have a lot of uh, data in this particular outbreak about efficacy of the vaccine. So, you know, I think listeners who've gotten the vaccine or who will get the vaccine, we all need to keep an open mind that it may act a little bit differently with this, but I think even uh, the most skeptical immune, immunologists, uh, experts believe that at least you'll be protected against serious disease if you get um, the vaccine uh, for this particular kind of outbreak. Well, I want to bring into the conversation now Tom Temprano, political director at Equality California, an LGBTQ plus rights advocacy organization. Tom, really glad to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Mina. Glad to be here. I wanted to ask you about your experience trying to access the vaccine and when you tried to do it. Sure. Uh, so I am here in San Francisco, which, you know, as Dr. Chinong knows, is one of the uh, most impacted 
cities in the entire country right now and uh, received a couple weeks after uh, San Francisco Pride weekend a notice from an event producer um, for an event that I attended along with you know, probably a couple thousand other mostly gay and bisexual men that there had been uh, someone or multiple people at the event who had tested positive for monkeypox. And fortunately, these event producers had, you know, worked with the Department of Public Health to provide information about what those of us who were at the event and possibly exposed should do. That included, you know, providing numbers for uh, a couple different uh, Department of Public Health clinics, and for the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, and we were all encouraged to call uh, and set up an appointment to receive the vaccine. This was on a, a Tuesday, I think the Tuesday following the 4th of July weekend. And I, of course, called all three numbers, um, left voicemails, and then I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and was getting very close to that 14-day exposure window, mm. at which point, you know, the vaccine is not as effective in, in stopping severe symptoms um, and, and, you know, was checking in with other folks who had also been at the event who had called the numbers and we were just in the dark and not sure when we would hear back, whether it would be in time, where we would be able to access the vaccine. And so, like so many other um, gay and bisexual men uh, across the country right now, started to rely on, you know, social media and our, you know, our peer network for real-time information that at that point was severely lacking anywhere else. I, you know, I was fortunate. I, I was that Friday afternoon, the end of that 14-day period, and a, uh, a friend of mine who actually stood up the uh, COVID hub here in the Castro for the LGBTQ community posted pretty much unconfirmed, we're hearing there may be a, a vaccine drop-in at SF General this afternoon, drop everything and go. And... Mm -hmm. You know, without knowing whether it was really happening, I, I did just that. I let my work know that I was going to need to take the rest of the day off, got in an Uber, and in the, you know, 30 minutes between when I saw the post and when I got there, there was already maybe 150 folks in line. That grew to hundreds and hundreds within a, another hour, and we just waited. I, I waited three and a half hours in line. Um, you know, there was rampant rumors about vaccine doses running out and you know, we might as well go home and we shouldn't be there. And unfortunately, a lot of folks did. But I figured until someone in the lab coat tells me I'm out of luck, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, do my best. Um, and again, three and a half hours later was was lucky to get that first dose uh, was scheduled for a second dose, which, you know, was was later canceled. But I, I actually, you know, despite my fear and frustration, I think had a, a much better experience and many other folks who have, have tried over, you know, the weeks that followed to get that vaccine, some of whom went three, four times to SF General, waited in line starting at five o'clock in the morning, only to be turned away again and again. So as, as frustrating as my story was, I, I do think it's actually one of the better ones here in San Francisco. Wow, that just sounds so incredibly stressful. I'm glad you got the shot. Why did they cancel the second shot, Tom? So, you know, San Francisco and I think many other uh, places have moved to a one-dose strategy because we just don't have enough vaccines. And, you know, while I think for a, a public health perspective, that's probably the right thing to do. There's decent efficacy after the first dose. Um, it, it's, it, it still is not right that 
we don't have enough doses coming in from the federal government to actually fully vaccinate at-risk populations. And I say another, you know, a, a frustration I had with my second dose cancellation was the reason I found out about it, and you know, many folks found out about it, was because of a hearing that Supervisor Raphael Mandelman probably not going to happen. I did get a follow-up call from from DPH alerting me, but it was, you know, it, everything's changing quickly, and I get it, but. I think we all just want some more reliable, real-time information in the midst of this public health crisis. Yes. So poor communication. Also, just we are learning more and more details of how much the federal government miscalculated um, and responded slowly as well to the early stages of this outbreak when it could have been containable. I'm just curious, Tom, if that sends a message to you and, and what message that sends to you? You know, I, I think it is, um, it's a little, and, and again, Dr. Chin Hong hit on this, but it's a little frustrating to see a flat-footed response to the first public health crisis coming out of the t- last two and a half years of the COVID-19 pandemic. It, it does not instill particular confidence that were prepared for even bigger outbreaks when, you know, we, we knew this was going to happen eventually. We had a vaccine that had we adequately prepared and manufactured could have snuffed this thing out, you know, a month ago. This, this, we would not even be having this conversation if we actually had taken this seriously and had adequate testing capacity, adequate vaccine access. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly, you know, as, as I think many folks know, right, you know, this, Monkeypox is certainly not a gay disease. Anyone can catch it through the means that Dr. Chin Hong shared, but it is disproportionately impacting the LGBTQ plus community right now. And while I don't think that there was anything intentional about a slow response, I, I have heard from many folks in the LGBTQ plus community, especially those who were around in the days in the 1980s for the AIDS crisis, where there truly was a, a awful um, government response, which this is nowhere near um, the level of that, but who can't help but ask, is the reason we aren't acting with the urgency that we ought to be because this is only impacting gay, bisexual men um, and trans folks at this moment? And again, I don't think that that is why. I don't believe that is why, but it certainly is is a pervasive feeling out there amongst the community. Yeah, you are hearing how it's resurfacing some painful memories. Well, Tom Tempono, I really appreciate you coming on to share your experience. I hope you're hearing that things are getting a little bit better in terms of access, but um, maybe I'm wrong. Little, little by little. And again, I, I do think, you know, really appreciative of our state uh, and local governments for declaring public health emergencies and taking this seriously and showing the impacted communities that they are. I think now what we just need is, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands, millions of more doses than we currently have. And and I hope we get there soon. Tom Temprano of Equality California. Thank you. Thanks, Mina. We're talking about monkeypox and the state and federal response to it. And you, our listeners, are joining with your questions and comments and have shared them ahead of the show. The email address forum at kqed.org. 
Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram is where you can post your comments at KQED Forum, or you can call us at 866-733-6786. Peter Chenong, there are a couple of questions here related to how you're determining who's eligible for vaccines. This listener is quite frustrated. This listener tweets, my partner is a massage therapist. It's atrocious that he can't get a vaccine just because he doesn't have sex with men. He's not only at risk himself, but at great risk of becoming a vector. We need to thoughtfully expand vaccine access. Jessica writes, I know that limited vaccines need to go to those with the highest exposure right now. But I also know that men who have sex with men aren't that removed from the general population. There's crossover in sexual and casual contact. Are we going to see a need for general vaccination among everyone in the future? When might that happen? What would you say to these two listeners? I guess, how do you feel about the way that we are uh, doing access now? And then do you think that it could expand as Jessica is asking and if that's necessary? I think both listeners um, point their points really resonate with me and I know how anxiety provoking it is to everyone and and emotionally laden, particularly given our vaccine rollout for COVID and and how we felt about that. My feeling is um, that I think the, the focus right now is appropriate, just given the limitations of the resources that we have. We have to uh, enrich the population that's being affected right now with the protection so that it doesn't go out to the general population instead of a scattergun approach. However, the longer we wait, and we are waiting a very long time to mobilize this, uh, it's going to spill over in the general population, uh, like the listeners uh, mentioned. And, you know, time is money. And um, that's what I think many of us are worried about. Yeah. Well, on the line now is State Senator Scott Weiner. Scott Weiner, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I understand, Senator Weiner, that you are on the Select Committee on Monkeypox. I, th- I, th- I think it was just very recently formed. Can you talk about what you've identified as the most crucial thing that the state needs to do right now to improve its response to this outbreak? Um. Yeah, so I, um, our Senate leader, Senator Tony Atkins from San Diego, asked me to chair and form a select committee on monkeypox. So we've done that. Uh, and we'll be having an oversight hearing next Tuesday afternoon in the Capitol. Uh, and we'll be hearing from state and local public health officials, from uh, physicians who are, who are treating uh, monkeypox patients, and from uh, advocates in the community who are organizing um, around this. Um, and we're also, I, I should say, we're, we are, we have put in a formal request for an emergency budget appropriation of $38.5 million to support county public health response to monkeypox because the counties are on the front line. They're going to have to expand testing, uh, stand up vaccination sites, education and outreach. And one, you know, San Francisco, L.A. have a lot of public health resources. When you start getting into other counties that have much more limited public health uh, infrastructure, uh, the state needs uh, to be there. So that's a big uh, focus. You know, I think San Francisco um, and our state health officials, I think, really got this quickly and and reacted quickly with a sense of urgency. And I have uh, had regular conversations with our Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mark Galley, um, Dr. Aragon, our state health officer, and our uh, Dr. Colfax and Dr. Philip in San Francisco. Um, but the, I, it, it's hard to overstate how badly the federal government dropped the ball and put us in this position. 
you know, the federal government funded this vaccine to the tune of a billion dollars uh, and then had over 20 million doses uh, and allowed them to expire without replacing them, all while experts were telling us for years and years that monkeypox was going to spread outside of Africa and was going to come here. And so we are so far behind uh, because of the federal government. And then they didn't react quickly in April and May. They didn't put in an order for vaccines quickly enough. So other countries got in line ahead of us. And so we are left trying to play catch up. And we are doing the very best we can uh, with vaccine scarcity. Uh, the, the wait list on the San Francisco AIDS Foundation for vaccines is unbelievably huge. You know, blocks long lines every time San Francisco General reopens its clinic. And then, of course, we promptly run out of vaccines. It's really horrific. So we need to make sure we're setting up the infrastructure at the state and local level, which we are doing. Uh, and then we need to get those vaccines. But the one last thing I want to mention, once again, showing a federal failure, um, the original formula in terms of deciding how much vaccines each state would get, 75% um, of that formula was based on how many cases the states would have. So states like California, Illinois, Florida, New York, and then Washington, D.C. would get higher levels because we have so many cases. The CDC just flipped that formula. So now only 25% of the formula is based on how many cases a state has. And so we're now going to see back fewer vaccines coming to the most impacted states, which is another just ridiculous decision by the federal government. Is, we're coming up on a break, but is there anything you can do to, to reverse that or, or put pressure to change that formula? We're, we're, we're looking into what we can do. Um, uh, it's been really hard. Uh, it's just the federal government has been very challenging um, around mm -hmm. us, and we clearly need to push, and we will. We'll have more with Senator Weiner and Dr. Chin Hong after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Coming up tomorrow on Forum, few people who are denied abortion care end up putting their child up for adoption. We explore why and hear from women who did choose adoption and what the experience was like. If this is you and you'd like to tell your story, leave us a voicemail at 415-553-3300 or email us forum at kqed.org. To listen to past forum shows or subscribe to our podcast, visit kqbd.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check us out on Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We are taking your questions and hearing your experiences with monkeypox, and we're joined by Dr. Peter Chin Hong, an infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, and Senator Scott Weiner, California State Senator representing San Francisco. You, our listeners, are joining at 866-733-6786 by posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, by emailing comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Let me go to Patrick in South San Francisco. Hi, Patrick. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I wanted to uh, to relate. I, I do agree that what we're seeing a problem at the federal level, but it appears there's also a problem at the county level, at least with in San Mateo County. San Mateo County Health Department's website indicates they're giving their monkeypox vaccines away to other jurisdictions. I called my supervisor, David Canepa's office, to ask about this, and they were told, they related to me that, I should go to San Francisco and stand in line for hours on end to try to get a vaccine. When I said, hey, can my supervisor go to bat for me? Because if the state is giving San Mateo County vaccines, they should be used here first. If there's excess, sure, we can give them to other people. And the supervisor refuses to act. And I I trust he's not against gay men in San Mateo County, but it seems there is a local issue going on right now. Mm. Uh, Senator Weiner, have you heard about something like this? Could you help Patrick? So um, what I will say is the the county, or excuse me, when the state, the way vaccine allocations work in California is Los Angeles, being a mega county of like 10 million people, receives a direct allocation from the federal government. Um, Same with like Cook County in in Illinois or, or New York City. Um, the other 57 counties receive an allocation through the state. And so every week or so, the state receives an allocation uh, and then sends them down to the counties. Uh, the state is basing a lot of its of the allocation based on how many cases you have. San Francisco has about 50%, one half of all infections in California, even though we are 2% of the population, we have about as many cases as all of LA County, which is 12 times bigger. Uh, and so a lot of the vaccines are going into San Francisco uh, because of how hard hit. And the, the Chronicle actually listed out all the counties yesterday. And after LA and San Francisco, it just plummets. Uh, we want San Mateo County to have enough uh, vaccine, um, but it, we're, it's so scarce now that that's probably not gonna happen for a while. Um, people can come to San Francisco and uh, when they say wait in line, Mike, you know, San Franciscans have to wait in line. It's not ideal. It's not what we want, but that's where we are now. Um, people are also going over to Steamworks, the gay bathhouse in Berkeley uh, to wait in line there on Wednesdays at noon. Uh, so, again, it's, it's a bad situation that did not have to be this way. The federal government put us here, but we are where we are. Uh, and unfortunately for now, people are having to wait in line. Senator Weiner, you've said that tragically, as in often the case when a disease targets marginalized communities, the national public health response 
has been slow and deprioritized. What are you saying here? That is just, it's a, it's a tragedy of public health um, that, you know, when you have, I mean, the U.S. in many ways made a lot of mistakes around COVID, but at least there was a very rapid response in terms of testing, in terms of, you know, getting a vaccine invented from scratch, not from scratch, there was a lot of research already about, uh, but, but for a new virus within less than a year. Um, and here we have a disease where we know about this virus. We don't know everything, but it's been around for over half a century. We know a lot about it. We actually have a vaccine. We have a treatment that is not approved for monkeypox, but anecdotally treating physicians tell me it seems to work. And it's just been really slow. But let's also be clear. Monkeypox has been circulating in West and Central Africa among humans since 1970, 52 years. And we've had a vaccine for quite some time. Uh, and we were told that it was going to spread outside of Africa. And people in Africa have been suffering with it. And why on earth did we not flood Central and West Africa with the monkeypox vaccine to try to control it there, to stomp it out, and to be there for Africans? Why? Because it's Africa. It's Black people in Africa, and the world ignores it. And then it comes to Europe and the U.S., affecting gay and bi men, and the world is incredibly slow in moving forward. And instead, it becomes a bunch of sex shaming and slut shaming that, that, oh, it's all your fault for having sex. This is the same with HIV. Instead of taking an actual public health strategy of, of dealing with it, we, use, you know, we see this strategy that is not a public health strategy telling people just not to have sex. It doesn't work. It's never worked. Uh, and so absolutely, when marginalized communities are the ones being impacted by illness, uh, society does not act quickly enough. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, what do you see as the trajectory of, of monkeypox in California as a result of where we are and how we've handled it to this point? I'm an optimistic person, Mina, but even myself, I don't really see a lot of uh, uh, bright light in the next few months. I think we'll continue to see a lot of sick people. Uh, there'll be a lot of pain and suffering in the community. And uh, we won't, and we won't have enough vaccines until next year. I mean, and in the meantime, I think a lot of people will be anxious. Uh, we've looked forward to this time to re-engage with community, and now all of a sudden, uh, people are uh, again worried about another outbreak. And I'm worried about uh, hospital system. Um, I'm worried about inequities and how we are distributing uh, not just vaccines, but medicines, T-pox. Um, yes. It's, it's very, very tough right now. And I think only people in the know or counties in the know uh, have access to it. So can you explain why the medication that, as Senator Weiner was saying he's heard, is quite effective, um, is also so hard to access? Well, it's hard to access because it's still an investigational drug for monkeypox, although it's been FDA approved for smallpox since uh, 2019. Um, so because it's in, called an investigational drug, it's uh, issued by the CDC under um, uh, something called a EAIND, which is through an expanded access program. But for every patient, 
even though the CDC has their ethics uh, board reviewed it that um, you know different small clinics can rely on in academic centers and large hospitals, you might have to also go through your local board ethics board just briefly. Um, and but I think probably the major limitation is the time it takes to sit with a patient, uh, do informed consent, uh, follow up a day seven after treatment, even if they're getting better, uh, fill out paperwork. Uh, and again, because this is not a, a national public health emergency, there's no uh, kitty bank for uh, monkeypox treatment. So hospitals, healthcare systems have to eat up administrative costs for, for administering this, this medicine. You have to have investigational drug pharmacists or pharmacists who know how to track investigational drugs, even though it's it's kind of um, um, weird because it's approved for smallpox, but it's called investigational drug for monkeypox. It's very safe, but yet we have uh, all of these uh, hoops to jump through. If it was an emergency use authorization like Paxlovid, it could be available at Walgreens and then we can prescribe it there. But because it's investigational drug and there are these activation energy barriers to get it, um, it's available in some places, not in others. We're treating the sickest of the sick, whereas we know that in every antiviral ever in infectious diseases, the earlier you treat, the better. Think Paxlovid. But we're back to remdesivir uh, era, except we have tons of T-box. We have over 2 million doses in the national stockpile. Yeah, and if I, if I could just <clears throat> jump in there. Please. Um, the, the originally... Uh, CDC uh, or the feds were requiring about uh, a physician to fill out like 20 pages of paperwork to get authorization and send pictures. And it was sort of a mess. Um, the federal government did uh, streamline it, but it's still like, I think, six pages. So a lot. Um, my understanding is that it looks like today the federal government may declare a state of emergency around monkeypox. Yeah, I'm seeing um, that reporting, that, too. Yeah, if that happens... Uh, uh, I believe that that could open up doors for an emergency use authorization for T-pox for monkeypox. Because hmm. um, I think you need a state of emergency to have an emergency use authorization. If that happens, um, then that could be a, a game changer. Well, Ben writes, why is there only one company making this vaccine? Is it hard to come up with the ingredients of this vaccine? Any no. way we can try so, to make the vaccine here with all these pharmaceutical companies we have in yeah. the U.S.? So we can. Um, so basically, this vaccine, the U.S. government basically funded it. A Danish company that U.S. government put about a billion dollars into it, which is great. Um, and the reason they invented it was uh, the the live virus smallpox vaccine cannot be used on people who are immunocompromised. And this can because it's an attenuated virus. Um, so, yes, this company can license the virus to other pharmaceutical companies. And I believe they've already indicated they're willing to do that. Um, but it takes time for other companies to gear up their manufacturing. It doesn't happen overnight. And so some, of, a lot of us have been calling on the federal government to really act with a sense of urgency to get this license to other, uh, preferably larger pharmaceutical companies that can start mass producing. But it just doesn't happen quickly. Let me go to Deidre in Riverside. Hi, Deidre. Hi, my name is Deirdre. I'm a, Deirdre. a NICU mm -hmm. nurse. Oh, no problem. I'm a NICU nurse, and um, I, I'm seeing a similar delayed response, actually no discussion at all about monkeypox within the workplace. 
And uh, I do recall back to the late 2019 bringing up COVID and being very concerned about that in my RN quality practice board meetings and trying to discuss this with infection control. And there was eventually a response, but it was very delayed. And now um, I'm concerned. I, what I was, what my concern is, is I'm, I'm a healthy middle-aged adult. I could probably survive monkeypox. Um, it is definitely not a gay disease. It's not a sexually transmitted infection even. Um, it does and can survive on fomites, you know, hard surfaces and textiles. And I'm just concerned that if we don't have a proactive response, we're going to find one or two healthcare workers or more, bring it into an environment where there are very small and immunocompromised babies that cannot get vaccinated and how devastated that could be. Hmm. And so when will we possibly get a response from the CDC, the government, something to direct health care institutions? Because it's really scary to go to work and it, it's, it's like radio silence. Nobody is discussing this. Well, Deirdre, let me see if Dr. Chin Hong has some thoughts for you. Deirdre's concerns, well, Dr. Chin Hong, I don't know if you can answer the question yes, about definitely. the CDC, I but... I I definitely hear Deirdre, but I would want to just reassure everyone that if you use universal precautions for COVID, that you will be very well protected against monkeypox. And that's what healthcare environments are doing still. So I have no worries at all in the healthcare environment, uh, because again, luckily the same interventions we use for COVID work for monkeypox. And it's not just, uh, it's not, I don't have any worries about spread within the hospitals, uh, at least from what we know so far uh, and how and where it is in the community. Um, I would say that there is uh, a lot of stigma happening. And you asked me, Mina, about what I'm worried about in the next few months. I think I'm worried about more and more stigma. We've already had reports of uh, phlebotomists refusing to draw, bl draw blood from patients with monkeypox, yes. which doesn't make any sense if you're drawing blood from HIV patients and you use uh, universal precautions, you should be protected against monkeypox. And there's not, uh, we don't know uh, how transmissible even it is in the blood, but again, you're protecting yourself and we do need uh, blood work to take care of these patients. So that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about people who are worried about hugging people from a potentially suspected person who might be at risk for monkeypox which I've already started hearing about. So these are all things that I'm worried about because these emotional scars will linger on people long after the physical scars drop off. We're talking about monkeypox, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Edward tweets, I cannot believe that after every flood, fire, hurricane, and the COVID pandemic, we still don't have an app that provides accurate information, collects self-reporting of positive tests, and points to access to aid and vaccination appointments. Dr. Chin Hong, I spoke with you, I think, at a time when case numbers in California were at 50. And even at that point, I think you were feeling like it's too late to contain it, and it will likely be endemic. Does that basically mean that you are expecting that monkeypox is ultimately here to stay um, and, and can you talk about what that potentially means if you still feel that way? 
Yeah, I, I'm becoming more and more pessimistic that we can control this um, because not we, it's not only just in the United States and we've been focusing on California and the U.S. But remember, there's monkeypox happening in more than 75 countries that don't usually have it. So that means that we are not able to provide vaccines to everyone. It's like COVID all over again, except that um, we, you know, this could have been preventable. Again, hindsight, 2020, et cetera. Uh, if we, you know, a, a few vaccines early on with a fewer people infected could have contained it. But right now, the longer you wait, the more and more vaccines you're going to need. The WH is already talking about breaking up the genios into more than one uh, shots to try and see if it can work on people around the world. So it's kind of at an extremist place. And again, you know, what it means, Mina, is that I'm seeing a patient in you know, five years from now, and every single time I see a patient with a rash, I have to worry about monkeypox. I have to send a monkeypox test when I would prefer not to even think about it normally. Senator Weiner, based on what you're hearing about the timetable for vaccines and so on, and some of the experiences that we've heard, I guess I just wonder if you can give our listeners a sense of a time when things might be a little easier, especially among men who have sex with men in the gay and bisexual community who are really feeling this so intensely. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, as as a gay man, I, uh, you know, I'm deeply enmeshed in and in, in, in the LGBTQ community and particularly among gay men. And there is a lot of fear now. I mean, people know this is not the same as HIV in terms of it, at least back in the eighties being potentially a death sentence. It's different than that, but people also know the intense agony that this is causing uh, in people, that it's just a disaster to, to, you know, to have to experience that pain. Uh, So there is a lot of fear, a sense of abandonment, um, there are also a lot of um, gay men who are just sort of, they're not as tuned in and they're just now starting to say, oh my God, I need to get this vaccine. And then they can't get it. And so people are scared. Um, and we are going to see an uptick in vaccine availability as time goes by in the coming months. And we'll actually see some increased availability this month. My concern is that even... That, that increased demand could swamp the increased supply as more and more people realize they need to get it. And, you know, if this moves into uh, non-LGBTQ communities, um, we're going to really see a tidal wave of demand. So I am, uh, I'm an optimist too, like Tata uh, Chinhong, but I'm, uh, I'm concerned. Senator Scott Weiner, Dr. Peter Chinhong of UCSF. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, Caroline Smith, for producing this segment. Thank you, listeners, for listening. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.